So my name is Armin, and uh, I do have a cold this morning, so, uh, which is courtesy of my grandkids, by, by way of my wife, Nancy. So uh, I'm going to invite my wife, Nancy, to stand in case you haven't met her. Nancy, my wife of... Uh, We've been married 42 years. We have uh, two adult daughters and, uh, five, and five grandchildren. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, my, uh, our oldest ones, uh, our oldest, our, actually our youngest daughter and her husband are off at a, a weekend. Remember, they're, both of our daughters are believers, active in their churches, and uh, it's, it's really good to see. I also want to introduce to you the, the director of our women's ministry at Grace, Jill McLean. Stand up, Jill. All right. There's a reason for the introduction. She's not like my other wife, all right? She is, uh, she is the director of our women's ministry, and uh, in, in the same way that we invited the men of Bethlehem to come to a men's breakfast, there is an event this Friday evening called Tailgate, and that'll take place at 6.30 at Grace Church on the Mount. And it's a, it's a time where you come, you have conversation, there's going to be soup, right? And, and oh, is there an open mic or is it a... No, it's not open mic. Discussion questions. Discussion questions. It's just a nice time to socialize and we, we learn a little bit about... This month it's about obeying God and how we try to do that in our daily lives. It's about obeying God and how to do that in your daily lives. So, would you pray with me? Father, it is in Jesus' name that we come before you, recognizing that because of what he has done, you have seated us in the heavenly realms along with him. You have called us your sons and your daughters. You have made us heirs of everything that is his. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of access to you, that at a moment's notice in the middle of the night, we can barge into your presence and know that we are welcome because you have told us to come boldly and to speak freely to you. Thank you, Lord, for that privilege. And Lord, now I pray that you would fill me with that breath of your spirit, that the things that, I'm, that I say might flow from your word, that they might be your heartbeat, and that no man, no people would be glorified but the Lord Jesus himself and he alone. Thank you, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds by your spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. I came to know Christ as my Savior in my early 20s. And I remember when I, after I did that, I was, uh, uh, I was much, it was a much different life for me back then. And I remember when, Shortly after I had come to know Christ, and I had picked up a Bible, I'd dev- been devouring the Word, and, and you know how you, you, you remember what it was like when you get that sense of excitement, when you, when you know the burden of your sin has been lifted, and, and you, feel, you feel free, you feel clean. Uh, that, was a, that was a wonderful experience for me. And then I, I realized very quickly thereafter that there were still areas of my life that weren't yielded to Him. And so you start to feel dirty again, 
and you start to feel less than, and you wonder if he still loves you. You know, that song that we sang before, it, 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 it's so meaningful, so, how much he loves us. But I wondered about that. And there was a, there was a fellow, uh, he was actually my young adult pastor, who discipled me for, for three years, poured his life into me. And I remember him taking me through uh, a number of things that were put out by, uh, it was called Campus Crusade for Christ back then. And uh, they were called transferable concepts. And I remember him explaining to me that my salvation didn't depend, my security doesn't depend on my ability to hold on to him, but his ability to hold on to me. That it really is true what Paul writes when he says that we are guarded by him. That's what I want to talk to you about today. So if you have a Bible or maybe you have a device that has the Bible on it, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 22 through 30 because Jesus has something to say about God's power to hold us. He has something to say about your security if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. John 10, 22 through 30. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I mentioned to you that my wife and I have five grandchildren, and three of them are preschoolers, and they live in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains in Colorado Springs. And they love to walk with Nancy and me down to an ice cream shop. Uh, you, you familiar with Josh and, Josh and John's ice cream? Anybody familiar with that? Nobody is, all right? Nod your heads if you are, all right? Are you? Okay, some of you, a few of you. It, really good ice cream, all, all different kinds of very custom flavors. And, uh, but we go down this long hill that's called Flying W Ranch Road. And when we get down to the bottom, we have to cross the street. And there it's a four-lane highway. And we always insist that when we cross, we do so in a line and we all hold hands together. Now, they tend to be squirmy and they frequently try to pull away. But we don't let them go because they're at risk, because of the traffic, and we grip them all the more firmly because we realize that their safety 
doesn't depend on their ability or even their willingness to hold on to us, but rather our determination to hold on to them. And you and I need to understand, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then God holds you in much the same way. And your security rests not in your power to hold on to God, but his power to hold on to you. So I want to work our way down through this passage we've just read. Because if you, if you look through this passage, you're going to notice that there are five separate contrasts that he makes. And that illustrates his point. They illustrate his point. So first of all, and let me run down them uh, real quickly for you, and then we'll unpack each one of them. The first one is the contrast of those who believe and those who don't. The second is those who hear versus those who don't. The third contrast, those whom he knows versus those whom he doesn't. Fourth is those who follow versus those who won't. And then those who live versus those who perish. So let's start with those who believe versus those who don't. And before we dig into this contrast, I want to, it's important and helpful to examine the context because when Jesus is in this position here, it's winter in Jerusalem. So he's teaching in an area uh, of the temple that's called Solomon's Colonnade. And it was a, it was a covered area that uh, stretched around the entire temple area. And when it says in verse 24 that the Jews gathered around him, it, it has a, a fascinating tone to it. It has the idea that they encircled him and they closed in on him. That's built into the way that it's expressed here in the original language. And it has a really hostile feel to it. And even their question, which is rendered in the New International Version as, how long will you keep us in suspense? It can also easily be rendered as, how long will you keep annoying us? That's really what they were wondering. You know, you know you, you, we want you to tell us plainly. Are you the Messiah? Trying to trap him. In John 10.25, we read that Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Now, when you think to the miracles of Jesus, you know, nobody said that he wasn't doing miracles, right? I mean, they all recognized that what he was doing. What did they say? They said, oh, yeah, he's doing miracles, but he's doing it by the power of Satan. I mean, rather insulting, wouldn't you think? And, and not only that, in answer to their question, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Tell us, are you the Messiah or not? He says to them, in, he said to them earlier in John 8, 58, he had plainly told them exactly who he was. He had said, very truly I tell you, John 8, 58, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, that sounds awkward when we say it. Before Abraham was born, I am. 
Well, the reason why it sounds awkward to us is because grammatically it just seems strange, but for them, they knew exactly what he was saying. He was speaking to them in the original language, in Aramaic, and guess what term he used there? He said, before Abraham was born, Yahweh, I am. He identifies himself as the God who revealed himself to Abraham and Moses, Jacob, Isaac, oh. And, and so they knew exactly what he was intending to say. And that's why in the very next verse, verse 59, we read that at this they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because he was clearly claiming to be the living God. But why didn't they believe? I mean, he's doing all of these miracles. He's doing what nobody else has ever done. And Jesus tells them why they don't believe. He says, you don't believe because you are not my sheep. Curious statement. Some people, and you've probably seen this, you've talked with people, and some people, despite all of the weight of evidence of who Jesus is, simply refuse to believe in him. I have a brother. His name is Bruce. Brilliant guy. Uh, he is a transplant surgeon and, uh, you know, puts in kidneys and livers and all kinds of other stuff. I don't know. But uh, brilliant guy. really is. And uh, I've had numerous occasions to talk with him. And a couple of years ago, I'd been discussing uh, some, I can't remember what the topic was, but he switched the topic onto why I believe. And he started to argue with me about, well, what about the Muslims? What about this? What about these folks over here? And, I, and finally I said to him, I said, Bruce, l- listen to me. If, if I were to be able to satisfy all of your questions, all of your skepticism, would you then put your trust in Jesus? No. Why? It's because he would not believe. At this point, my brother is just, he's not one of his sheep. I mean, you have this, you have this open invitation that Jesus gives. We see in John 6.37, he says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So there's that open invitation, right, on the one hand. But then on the other hand, he also says in John 6, 44, a few verses later, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So what do we conclude? And, and I wish I could understand this because whenever I preach the gospel, I preach it and here it is, folks, it's free. I mean, it's, it's yours for the taking. It's yours for the receiving. And, and this is something, and maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or maybe you've been religious. You know, you've fulfilled holy days of obligation, just as many of us who grew up in various traditions. But if you've never personally received him and invited him to be your Savior, well, then you're not saved. 
So the open invitation is there. But there are people who simply don't or seemingly, it's like almost as if they can't believe. Well, that's, that's a whole other message. We're not going to get into that today, right? So will you, do you believe the gospel or will you not? See, so often it's not a matter of this. It's a matter of this. Am I right? Yeah. Will you believe or will you not? Can you not? Well, then there are uh, the second contrast is those who hear versus those who don't. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I mean, there are some people who know no matter how often they hear the truth, they will never or seemingly can never receive it. I mean, this was the case with the religious leaders. How, how much evidence did they need, do you think? Did he give them enough evidence? It's not like people need more and more and more evidence. I mean, they'd heard and seen numerous times, but just didn't get it. It's as if they couldn't hear it. Do you know that's actually a fulfillment of prophecy that was made? Jesus himself quotes from the prophet Isaiah, uh, from Isaiah chapter 6. We read in Matthew 13, 14, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. It's like they couldn't hear it. And consequently, they couldn't receive him. But then there's the flip side, because that invitation keeps going out there. John 1, 12, and you've, I'm sure you've heard this. I've said this so many times and given this invitation so many times. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called what? Children of God. That's amazing when you think about it. Free for the asking, if you will just ask. You have to believe, though. You have to receive to be saved. And there are some people who sit for a lifetime under the preaching of God's word but remain utterly deaf to it. And then one day it clicks. I've seen this happen so many times. There have been people who have uh, been sitting under the teaching of the word and hearing the gospel time after time after time. And uh, maybe years, and maybe the husband of a wife or the wife of a, of a husband or, or maybe one of their children, and they've been, they've been there listening for years even. And then one day they'll come up and they'll say, you know, I've trusted Christ, and I've never heard this before. Isn't that amazing? It, it all, I always find it is amazing. It's almost as if they just couldn't hear it even though they've been exposed to it. So you've got the contrast of those who hear and those who don't. And then the third one is those who know him versus those who don't. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Do you know the Savior? Now, 
you may say, well, you know, I've been religious. I've grown up in this church. I've been baptized. I've been confirmed uh, in, in some tradition. I've kept holy days of obligation, just like many of us uh, growing up did or have done or are doing. And, and you may be well-informed. You may know the scriptures, but the question is, do you know him? And the way to know him is first to acknowledge your need for him and then to realize that you will not endure standing before him apart from putting your trust in him and surrendering to him. I mean, you may know the world's most familiar verse. You've seen John 3.16, I'm sure, even if you just watch football and you, you see the signs in the end zone at times, which they usually don't show on camera anymore. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and you can finish it. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But many people, most people are unfamiliar with what is said a few verses later in John 3.36. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's a pretty in-your-face message, isn't it? In other words, he... If you trust Jesus Christ, it's life. If you reject him, if you refuse to put your trust in him and receive him, well, then it's hell. Well, that's an unpopular message in today's culture, but it's true. It is the truth. In order to be saved, you respond to his invitation. And, and I would say, dare say that many, if not most of you, know this. Revelation 3.20, another verse I often quote, here I, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus talking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's kind of an interesting expression, isn't it? I will come in and eat with that person. Why was that so important? Well, I've traveled in a lot of places around the world, and one of the, one of the signs of real hospitality and the beginning of a relationship is when you sit down and you have a meal with somebody. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, so I'm a part of a supper club. Actually, I'm part of two supper clubs. Uh, we, uh, we, we met last night. And uh, sure, we pray together and we've studied the word together. But the times of the greatest intimacy for us is when we sit down and we break bread. Isn't that true? In fact, we're going to be breaking bread together in a in sort of a meal in just a few minutes. When you and I invite Jesus in, there's that intimacy of a, that metaphor of a real, intimate, close relationship. It brings people together. One of the things that, uh, at Grace Church on the Mount that we often do on, uh, at the 6 p.m. is, is there's, a, there's a potluck. And when you see people really get into each other's lives is when they sit around the table and they break bread together. It's just amazing to me. That's why Jesus invites people, invites you, if you've never done so, to dine with him. It's not just about lunch. It's about relationship with him, to know him. But there are a lot of people who will stand before Jesus and he'll dismiss them into outer darkness, not because they're any worse than anybody else, 
Not, not any worse than anybody who, who enters heaven, but because they simply didn't know him, didn't receive him, didn't eat with him. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Matthew 7, 23. So the, the biggest question for you is, do you know Jesus? Not, are you a member of Grace Church on the Mount, or are you a member of Bethlehem Church, or have you been religious, have you been consistent in church attendance? Do you tithe? But do you know Jesus? Well, then there are those who follow versus those who don't. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So if you hear him calling you, and you want to know him, you drop what you're doing, you listen up, you turn around, you respond to his voice, and you follow him. I read a, a true story about in the 1980s during one of the Palestinian uprisings of the late 80s, uh, the government imposed a penalty on a village near Bethlehem for refusal to pay their taxes. And the officer in charge uh, rounded up all of the village's sheep. It was, a, it was an agrarian, you know, shepherding type of community. And uh, as a reprisal, placed them in a large pen surrounded by barbed wire and said that he would keep them there until the people in the village paid their taxes. But later in the week, he was approached by a woman who begged him to release her flock, arguing that because she was a widow, the animals were her only source of livelihood. And the officer, he pointed to the pen containing hundreds of animals and said, there was no way to separate the sheep. I mean, they were just all milling around in there. And she said, my son can separate them easily. And so he agreed. Uh, the son came over and he produced a small flute. I should have brought my flute today. I could have played it for you, all right? And he began to play on it. And all over the sheep pen, there were... Uh, couple of dozen animals that immediately popped up their heads because they recognized the tune and the instrument and the one who was playing. The sheep recognized the call of that shepherd and the soldier opened up the gate and the sheep followed him home, all 25 of them. So have you heard the good shepherd calling you? And you lift up your heads and follow where he leads because he leads you to green pastures, to eternal life. And then the final contrast, those who perish versus those who never will. John 10, 28 and 29. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, I want to circle back to that big idea that I shared with you at the beginning. And that is that your security rests not in your power to hold on to God, but onto, in the Lord's power that holds on to you. 
And if you believe, if you have heard his voice, if you have responded to his invitation, then you will have eternal life guaranteed. And you will be held in the tender yet very unyielding grip of the hands of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he will never, ever let you go. Though just like my grandchildren, you may chafe and squirm under his grip, but because you are his sheep, because he knows you and you know him, because you heard and responded to his call, because you surrendered to him, you can never perish. And something that you need to notice in that verse, John chapter 10, 28, when it says they will never perish, there's a really, uh, there's a, there's a unique, well, it's rather unique in the way it's constructed there. He uses a double negative. Now, when, when I was always taught that, that in English grammar, when you use a negative, when you use a double negative, you know what it means? It means the opposite of what you're saying, right? But when, in, in the original language for the New Testament, when a double negative is used, it strengthens the assertion that's being made. And so to paraphrase John 10, 28 there, he's saying they will never, by no means, no way, ever perish. So if you are a believer, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, and you simply have heard the voice of the shepherd You have decided that he will be your shepherd. You have surrendered to him. Even though you have stumbled and fall, recognize and rejoice because your security rests not in your power to hold on to God, but in his power and his determination to hold on to you. You can rest in his grip. But now you may say, oh, well, you know, we're all believers here. Are you? Wouldn't that be rather silly of me to assume that everybody here has put their trust in Jesus? Many of you I don't know. You may be here because this has just been what you always do. Uh, If you're a person who has yet to hear, maybe maybe your ears have been opened for the very first time today, very... You believed and you've surrendered and, and you hear him calling your name today. Don't put this off to a better time. There may be no other time. Hebrews 4, 7 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't say, nah, that's not for me today. If you hear his voice, you open your heart. Because the Son of God beckons you, he welcomes you to eat with him at his table. And so you say to him, Lord Jesus Christ, I recognize that you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep. I want to be one of yours. I want to know that my destination isn't an eternity separated from you, but eternity with you. 
I want to know that I will be able to eat with you at your table forever. And so today, I recognize my own need because the Bible says that my sins have separated me from you. I recognize that. I recognize that you shed your blood on the cross in order to pay the penalty of my sins and to bridge the gap between us. And you proved that your sacrifice was effective, that it was paid, the price was paid in full when you died on the cross and then you rose again from the dead. And I'm putting my trust in you today as my Savior. That's what it takes. And you do that, then you are welcome to participate with us today as a brand new sheep in his flock at his table. Father, we thank you for the reality of your goodness, the wonder, Lord, the wonder of your salvation. We have heard your voice, and we worship you, and we thank you, and we remember your sacrifice now. In Jesus' name, amen.